welcome to Afro Leads the podcast. Afro Leads consists of two sisters, myself Julie and my sister Steph, and we're on a mission to promote UK black business and culture. At present, we have an Instagram platform where we post daily positive posts about black business, groups, communities, celebrities, music, and so much more. Today, we are joined by Christina Patrick, Chrissy to her friends, founder of the conscious brand, Ara and Obi. Ara and Obi specialise in bamboo bedding, blankets and towels and share the benefits of using bamboo based products for bedroom and bathroom linen. Chrissy started the business after having children that suffered from eczema. Due to the lack of products available at the time, she decided to take matters into her own hands and create a brand. She knew that would not just work for her family, but for families everywhere. We cannot wait to find out more about this queen, her background, her family and what's next in store for her and her brand. Welcome to the podcast, Chrissy. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're really excited to have you on, on um, today. So thanks for giving up your time to chat with us. Yeah. How have you been? How was how's lockdown treating you? Lockdown three? Oh, God, lockdown three. So uh, it's, it's so funny. Um, I um, actually had my son on the 28th of April. And um, this was about, you know, I, I planned my maternity leave. I planned, you know, three weeks before he was due. I was going to have the time for myself. I was going to be in the nursery. My husband would be at work. And then lockdown happened. No, and then, no. We, although we opened up even in the summer. <laughs> but even though we opened up in the summer with the newborn, I wasn't going to risk <laughs> going in to, to, to help out to reach out or anything like that so it's been interesting <laughs> obviously this one has been a lot easier on me than the first the first one again I think was a, a real shock to the system because obviously my three-year-old was also home uh, had a newborn so that was quite a chaotic three months and nursery was closed as well <laughs> but now I guess things from the nursery side things have opened up a bit so it's been it's been a lot easier I think a year in now I'm kind of like finding my stride but I'm so excited for things to start to open up again and hopefully yeah. some family can actually meet him because <laughs> I've probably count on one hand the number of family members mm. of mine that have met my son so uh yeah <laughs> oh yeah I think it's so different yeah I can imagine it's a bit of a strange one having maternity in well lockdown period as well I've got friends that have had yeah. really various experiences having children in this period some have really enjoyed not having too many family members around and kind of, especially because it's their first child I think They've enjoyed not having too many people saying, hold the baby this way and do this and do that and do this. So that's the benefit on one hand. But the other side of it, it's that, you know, you, I think when you have a, or I'm assuming when you have a baby, there's certain kind of milestones that you expect to kind of go through within a certain period. And they've missed out on a lot of that because family aren't around or, you know, you can't have grandparents over or your sisters or aunties and uncles and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's a bit of a strange one, but again, like we're coming out of it, aren't we? We're coming to the other side, which is amazing. Exactly. <laughs> I'm a hugger. As Julie knows, I'm a hugger. I like to hug people. And I think that's, I think that's what I found quite strange in this period. Like, I've just not, obviously you're not seeing people, but when you do see people, you just, el you know, you touch your elbows and it's just I so common. It's just, uh, it's like, it's non-personal. Like, me too, I'm quite a sociable person. Like, and I had, you know, like, sort of planned out my mat leave because I'm, I'm quite a planner as well. So if, if, if there's one lesson actually that I will say that I've learned from this year is just like take time as it comes and try and embrace it as much as you can because <laughs> I love plans and, and regimes and knowing what's going to happen when and 
some people may say control I like to say plans <laughs> so this is kind of like threw everything uh threw everything on its head so it's been a great learning experience for me so I'm, I'm really happy like to just open up again meet people socialize I didn't get the maternity leave that I'd expected I'm not going to get it back but it doesn't matter <laughs> onwards and upwards I'll try to be like that anyway <laughs> oh yeah but yes you say we can't change it and I guess it's if you this is your second maternity leave you've got a comparison to your first but it was never going to be the mm. same as your first because you have a toddler as well as a, a newborn to look after but yeah exactly <laughs> classes and things that you just can't do now is it that kind of thing that you feel that you kind of missed out on yeah and also obviously so I this year and it's funny because obviously I started our annual be whilst I was on maternity leave so I'm, I'm here comparing my maternity leave to my first daughter when I, I wasn't also running a business mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe it would have been completely different anyway but yeah I took her to swimming we did line time classes just meeting other babies I think my son's only met one other baby his age and that was I went for a coffee with someone and she had her baby on her lap and I had him on mine and, and, and that's it otherwise it's just me my husband and my daughter <laughs> that's the that he sees but I mean listen as far as I'm concerned hopefully and unfortunately both of them are quite young now so although they will remember this time oh my daughter anyway he won't you know it will be like a hindsight memory I don't think they'll be as hard impacted by it as as we have been mm. so that's the silver lining that I choose to try to take yeah <laughs> and he's starting nursery in April as well so by then all the stuff that he missed that he'll get to do there so yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. would you mind telling yeah. us a bit more about like you Chrissy just about where did you grow up what was your childhood like do you have any siblings that kind of thing Sure. So I have a, a long-winded story. So I was born in Shropshire in a small town called Shrewsbury, which is not too far from like Wolverhampton, Birmingham, Midland area. And when I was five, we moved down to the south, so Hertfordshire. That's about half an hour away from London, which is two different schools and I was down here. And when I was younger, my parents separated. I was about 11. And my mum decided to do a complete change of plan and decided to get a job with the WHO, World Health Organization in Geneva. <laughs> so we up sticks and then got catapulted into France, into a French school, not knowing anything of the language or anything like that. So it was real baptism by fire. But obviously in hindsight, when I look back on my experience, I loved it now. I loved growing up there. This is a byproduct of that. I speak fluent French, <laughs> which is great. I speak French to kids as well. Um, so yeah, then after I was... I did all my schooling in France and then I came back to England for uni. My grandparents live in Liverpool and so I've always been going up to Liverpool ever since I was tiny and I said right I want to go to university up north because they're just friends. <laughs> I want to have a nice experience up there. So I went to Newcastle. So that's kind of like my second home in the UK. Newcastle have such fun as ever you are as well. So you need Newcastle. We went to yeah. Yeah. Oh, really? yeah. Oh that's so cool. There you go. We have so much in common already. Mm-hmm. And then um so I was there, I did my degree for three years. I met my husband, he was at Sunderland University. So we met when we were up there. That's why I missed that. Oh, so I did um, marketing and management. Bit of a backstory to that, actually. I'd always sort of said, I want to have my own business. I want to run my own thing. And at the time, this is like 2005, roughly, I was having a chat with my grandma about this, who is kind of like my sense check for, for a lot of things, actually. And she was saying to me, oh, well, if you, if you want to, I want, I want to do a management degree because, you know, I want 
to like you know have my own business and I need to learn how to manage it and she said to me well if you want to learn how to manage I think you should maybe also study marketing as well so that you know how to market yourself and I was like okay cool I'll, I'll add marketing to it and it was literally like <laughs> the best decision I ever made because once I started studying I found that the management courses were kind of like yeah interesting but not great but marketing was like I was like what is this this is amazing <laughs> I completely fell in love discipline the whole premise behind it I don't know whether she knew like knowing how I am that that'd be a good course for me to do as well but um but yeah, that's kind of how I fell into the, the marketing side um of things as well when I was studying so we were in Newcastle and I sort of said well I want to stay you know get my first job in the northeast because I feel like it'll be easier for me to break in here because there's less competition and there's maybe less people and you know I'll get some skills and then I'll, I'll move down to the big smoke as they called it I'll go back down to London and I was ready to do that after a year my husband was like no it's not time so we spent like two years another two years I was like, oh, let's go let's go let's go anyway finally we decided to take the plunge <laughs> and then um moved down to London in 2013 I think it was and we've been in this kind of area um, ever since then but in terms of my heritage <laughs> and my background um, I am both Ghanaian and Nigerian proudly so both <laughs> leaving more so identifying I guess more with the Ghanaian side I would say mainly because I've been there many more times than anywhere else I think I've been to Ghana four times four or five times the first time was actually in about 2001 once summer but that's just the summer of the year after we moved to France mum was like right you guys are going to Ghana <laughs> so with your grandma and we were there I think for 11 weeks it was a long time and it was a real baptism by fire for me and my sisters because first of all you know we, we've never been to Africa at all and you hear all of these kind of stories and and horror stories and everything so we were kind of like really scared really apprehensive to go initially it was it was difficult by the end we didn't want to leave like we had such an amazing time while we were there and then the last time I went was in 2018 and that was just the best trip ever <laughs> we had the best time it was when they were doing the whole North Circle Festival slash Year of Returns there was just like a real buzz and a real vibe there there were so many people there there was just such a great positive energy and it was also so lovely for me to go back having been there I think maybe like four years prior and just seeing like the change in in the country and, and, and everything so I decided that I'm going to finally make this citizenship a real thing <laughs> as soon as I got I was like right I'm applying for my passport <laughs> so I can truly truly be a Ghanaian as well <laughs> just have it in blood so that's a little bit about like my kind of backstory and, and where I am and I am one of well on both sides one of five on my dad's side and um, four on my mom's side and I'm young. wow <laughs> big family yeah <laughs> sorry if that was a little bit long by the way oh, no, no. No. Fascinating. I've, I've written down like little notes to prompt because it's, it's fascinating you know um, yeah. <laughs> so and that's what that's what we that's what we love to find out about on on this um mm. on this show really and so, so what did your mum do she's still working and what was it that she was doing yeah yeah so my mum works at Dowitcho she works in like a kind of like an administrative or secretarial capacity and yeah so she's been there when did we move there we moved there in two 
I keep like I don't remember if it was 2000 or 2001 I think it was 2001 that we moved there it might be 2000 um and then she was there for about 10 years and she took a break she went to Ghana for a bit and then she went back to uh, the World Health Organization so it's just funny how you know and I grew up one of the great things about where I lived in France because we lived in France but obviously she worked in Geneva uh, Switzerland but we were literally on the border so mm-hmm. literally like going around the corner all of the shopping and cinema and all the fun things we did we would just go into Switzerland <laughs> go into Switzerland to do it but as a byproduct of like being a, a kid of someone who worked in the UN and living where we did in France like I would say about 80% of the people that lived there lived there because France was cheaper <laughs> than Switzerland and their parents all worked in, the, in one of the UN organizations whether it was WHO, World Trade Organization, UNH, UNHHCR, um, or United Nations Nation. So I grew up with so many different people from different cultures. And, and it's funny because here I am in the UK, it's like, oh, you speak two languages. Oh, that's cool. There it was like the standard. <laughs> yeah. People were speaking three yeah. languages, four languages, five languages. <laughs> so, but that was a really... I guess, great time for, for me, just having experience of other. So on the one hand, you know, you've got yeah. the, the Swiss experience, you've got how the French people are and how the French people do things. And then your friends, or I had friends who, you know, I had one friend in particular, her mom was Swedish, her dad was from Chile. Obviously they were living in France, they'd spent time all over Latin America. She spoke true in English, but she speaks four languages perfectly. And it was just like a real melting pot. And, you know how they say like traveling broadens the mind, broadens mm-hmm. the mind, and it does. Um, but also, you know, I also had that on my doorstep with all of the different friends I had from, you know, everywhere, literally everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> so that was great uh, experience. Yeah. That's amazing. I totally, totally love that because I suppose we're from like a very small town outside of Hull, in like East Yorkshire. So. That's where, like, our background, that's where we grew up. We're British Ghanaians, so we love the Ghana link. We're all right, we're pretty much related because yeah. it's fine, it's all good. <laughs> and I suppose it was when we got to, well, what, for me anyway, when I got to Newcastle, I really thought, like, Newcastle was really diverse because I had, mm-hmm. like, for, till that point, the majority of my friends were, you know, white. Naturally, that's that's that was my environment. And then I get to Newcastle, mm-hmm. obviously my course being international business, there's lots of international students there. So that year, there was a massive influx of Chinese students that have done lots of kind of international recruitment campaigns. There were loads of Chinese mm-hmm. students there. Yeah. But my predominant friendship group was really mixed like Iranian obviously like lots of Spanish and it, like European because lots of students were coming to Newcastle to do Erasmus so that's the Erasmus, yeah. like year abroad mm-hmm. etc mm-hmm. so for me I remember thinking oh my god like Hull is just so lame I'm in this multicultural <laughs> city I know it's not you know I know it's not like London but at the time I was like oh my god I've made it this is amazing for me yeah. that was my little UN honestly it was incredible I was like this is incredible so what was it like mm. for you did you think coming from suppose your environment where it was really 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 diverse very very and there was so many different influences did you think Newcastle was less in terms of your like what you were used to or did you think you know this is a place where I can see myself you know settling in it's I'm comfortable in this environment as well it's a really interesting question actually because I one of the things I will say about myself and also having grown up in the environment that, that I did grow up in yes there was people from different cultures and nationalities and things but I think there were 
of my friendship group, I think there was only like three of us that were that were black. The rest were either uh, European or North African or whatever. So I didn't really have, I would say, that many black friends. And even now, I'm trying to think about it. I probably only had about, uh, yeah, like two or three. And, it, it, and there's one that is still like, you know, I'm still super, super close with her and she lives in... Uh, she lives in Canada and we still talk all the time. And so going to Newcastle, I found ACX, Centre for Caribbean Society. So that for me was 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 a was a, a nice and also a completely different experience because because although I had you know you know hung around with like lots of people from different cultures and different backgrounds and obviously I am African right so you know I know all my family and you know when you have your family gatherings dominantly African but but that's different to to the friends and people you meet so going to ACF was a completely different ball game and I'd kind of started to kind of get a little bit in touch more with with my roots as it were because I find or I found you know when you're growing up in in certain areas or where you go to a school that's predominantly you know uh, white people or European people in that school um you 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 don't really have a grasp of necessarily your Africanness particularly for me where I live was living in France it's not like I was living in the UK and my family was here where you could go you know family is like we missed a lot of all of that kind of stuff because we were abroad so going to the ACS is really like a coming <laughs> not like coming home like a, a opening my eyes and meeting more people that had the same kind of heritage as me so it was kind of like actually it was learning more and diving into that a, a little bit more which I hadn't had before which I love like I've got so many friends from ACS from uni that I'm still in touch with and I, I don't know if that's because it's ACS just because Everybody at Newcastle was just so great. And <laughs> I found a really good church as well. And again, it was a black church. So there was lots of people, you know, all the ACS people from uni there. And, um, so, so yeah. <laughs> Julie and I have had conversations about Afro-Caribbean societies because, well, I didn't join one at uni. And that's one of my biggest regrets yeah, now. Same here. Um, yeah, would you say the same, Joe? Because we've talked about it a bit, haven't we? Yeah, I just, I just remember going around in Freshers' Week. They had like a student society fair, and I put my name down for so many things until I came to the ski and snowboarding society, and they were like, "It's fifty pounds." I was like, "Is it fifty pounds for everyone?" Because I'm gonna have to go and take my name off a few things. So, <laughs> but it wasn't. It was just that one. So I didn't join that one, and I, but I did loads of sport. So it's not. I, I do. Yeah, Steph said it's a regret. I wish I embraced the. Afro Caribbean society to have that experience, mm. especially growing up where we did and having so little of that kind of cultural mm. influence in our lives growing up. Mm. I was very kind of yeah. So I, I, I do wish I'd, I'd I'd joined at uni, but I just spent a lot of my free time mm. was it doing sport and um, yeah. Yeah, my regret is because like now I realise just how important like representation mm. is, and at the time I knew it was important in senses of when you sometimes feel like othered or definitely feel like the minority it would have been very very great for people that relate to and empathize with your situations and I get the power of that but I suppose mm. at the time my priority or, or my kind of focus was just like full disclosure getting away from, like from home 
having like loads of fun, partying. I mean, ask Julie. I remember yeah. I spent my whole student loan within about a couple of weeks, and I was like, "What do you mean? Like, is this it? Is this all that happened? Like, I was so irresponsible." Um, <laughs> When's the rest coming? When do we get paid? I said, "It's not being paid. You have yeah, to pay this back." And honestly, she was the best dressed student you could around. But oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> so bad literally but I look back and think if I had had like African Caribbean society influence like just having role models within a peer group I know how important that is now you know mm. I know how it is important it is now at work you know at my age so I know or I think or I believe that had I had that during university I would have been a you know much more intentional I would have much more power in what my convictions and potentially I would have been a bit more stronger in my decision making as well if I potentially had more of that role modeling within my peer group as well so oh mm. big regret big regret yeah but I, I think because one of the things about it was with me so most of my friends at uni like I would say especially those who are in ATS like 80 percent of them were doing medicine <laughs> and if they weren't what doing medicine, they were doing a biomedical sciences yes yeah. so they're all in the medical field and and I found and I did have I had one friend actually who didn't want to join and you know people have their various reasons for not wanting to come and I was like come 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 because sometimes again I have no idea what it's like now I graduated 11 years ago from my undergrad so who knows <laughs> and when I went to uni it was 2007 so very very different time but I was like this would be really cool to join and a get to know people but also you know like help and see now don't get me wrong you know you do have people that just want to party right <laughs> and we had the best cookout and we had the best of <laughs> it was great but also just being around people who were like really studious and, and like I said the, the doctors that were there and the dentists and and the you know the business students as well really studious and really like like dedicated to their craft like I've never seen I mean I don't know if they know this would, would know that I think this but the, the doctor friends of mine that studied and like they they seem to have a really good balance of like working really hard and having a really good time but it was also really important for me to get involved in in the ACS so like as a committee member as it were so I was treasury for like the two years when I was there and I really wanted to try and use it as an opportunity to come up. Let's do stuff for good. So we did like a couple of fundraising events. One for the ACLT, which is Afri Afro-Caribbean Leukemia Trust. Yeah. So that was basically like a club night that we put on. <laughs> and we got a DJ from uh, the then Choice FM. I think it's called now, now called Capital Extra. So he came and put the light on. And then we were able to raise quite a lot of money we were able to donate that to the ACLT. So just like little, little things like that that were really important for me to kind of do. And, you know, being aware, I don't know where the awareness came from that, you know, in our community, as it were, there's not as much support as there could be or there should be for things. So like giving back in that way was, was really important for me. And then not just paying lip service to it as well. Like even for the ACLT, when they had events that they were invited to exhibit at in the Northeast, I was like, you know, if you need me, if you need me call me <laughs> so I was there to, you know to be able to you know be and help the representative and spread the word so but you know being involved in a I wouldn't say activist way because it wasn't activism but just being involved I mean I could also try and you know shape it and move things in the direction that I thought would be important and it's funny because I wonder if it's still going now and 
I wonder like what's there and I hope it's open. I think when I actually started uni it wasn't there. So it was a group of us that were there that said, you know, let's create this thing. So oh, it's wonderful. That's really cool. Yeah. And it's not I I think there was one when I was there. And it's not that I didn't want to join it. I just didn't actively pursue it because other things seem to mm. time up. But I do I do realise, and as Steph has eloquently said, that I do recognise that I missed out on that opportunity of having that peer support. And Yeah, me too. Yeah, societies, I think you learn a lot about yourself, whatever the society is. Whatever you give your time to, you can learn a lot about yourself and others around you. So, but anyway, we can't get time back. But it's, yeah, it sounds like you had a really great time and it's really wonderful that you mobilised your kind of cohort to give something back to the community and also raise awareness about an amazing and much needed charity. Mm. Yeah. So when you left uni, what, what did you do? Did you go straight into a job? Did you kind of have a bit of what I wish I did, a bit of me time and travel, et cetera. What did you do? What were your plans? <laughs> so I, I, I think, I think it was you, Steffi, that said that when you went to you, you just wanted to leave home. And for me, yeah. it was like, I'm not going back home. <laughs> so, <laughs> the option of, um, of down, downtime, unfortunately, wasn't there. I was literally like straight into work. And it's funny, I had applied for a job. And you know, as you do when you're applying for jobs, and one of the things as well for me that I found really difficult was that I didn't get a placement. I know they do these like graduate placement schemes. So my course was three years slash four, four if you did a placement, you could have kind of come up and finished your final year. And that's what I wanted to do. Obviously, I look back on it now and I realised that, you know, with everything that, that happened, like my life, there would be a way it is now. Like I, I, at that time, I was like, I'm not doing a long distance. I would do a long distance relationship. I just met my then boyfriend, she was now my husband. And I said, well, that might not have even worked out, you know, <laughs> silver linings and all. <laughs> but um, so you're applying for roles. I, I did some temping over the summer when I was trying to find something permanent. I'd applied for all these jobs and I got another email. It's been like maybe like a month of no, no sound, no nothing. I got another email saying, oh, you know, we saw that you applied for this role. I just deleted it. I didn't even, I was like, oh, it's another rejection. Just leave it. And then I thought something said, I'll oh, just go into your deleted. <laughs> so I was like, oh, we like to invite you to an interview. I was like, oh, wow. <laughs> it's me. So I think I started, I started in September. So it was pretty, pretty quick. Had a, because I was working as well, I was temping in. I didn't really get any break or any downtime. My first proper, proper, proper break, like holiday, down tours and everything, was actually when we moved down south in 2014. <laughs> And we went to the state and to Canada for about three weeks. Other than that, now it's been straight into work from the get go. <laughs> yeah, I, I see that. And I am. Um, to be honest, Chrissy, I um, left uni, went back to Hull to stay with family because I've known when I was broke again. There's a, there's a common theme here. Yeah, went back home like Dickinson <laughs> with no cash, <laughs> and then straight back to work. There was no chilling, but you know, it's like very, very little business job. What was it that you were doing after uni? What role was it? In the summer, I was temping. It was just I was working for the CQC, Care Quality Commission. So they like regulate like care homes and all that kind of stuff. So it's temping. And my first job, proper job, was sales account manager. Yeah, so I was working for a company called Alternative, and they did them sort of like e-learning system tools. So I was working there. But I was there from what 2010 to 2013 when we moved down south. So I had, I think, I had two roles whilst I was there. The sales account manager, 
and then I'd always kind of, it's funny how, you know, I look back on my younger self and think, gosh, I was so bold and so audacious. And now I'm the old one, it's like, Ugh. and I looked at <laughs> when I joined, I was like, right, I love marketing. I want to do marketing. Any opportunity to do marketing, you know, I'm there for it. And I was just, I don't know whether naive is the right word to use, but I just kind of like thought, well, you know, this is what I want. People say, tell your employees what you want to do. They ask what you want to do and what your ambitions are. So just tell them. So I was fortunate enough that the business was kind of going through a change and then they gave me the opportunity. The then CEO, because they were bought by a US company, was doing uh, like a trip around the Middle East going to visit different universities to try and get them to provide a system. But I think, Christina, you, you manage that. You do the, the campaign for the, they called it the roadshow. So do the campaign for the roadshow of this guy and I did that and it went rather like okay well we'll give you promotion <laughs> and you know you'll get this new role as international company manager which was great you know and again for me I think I, I'm happy to share you know my first job my salary was 15k and I was like this is great because you know living in the northeast it was 2010 and I was able to afford to live and then my promotion I think it got me up to like 18k I was like right I'm rolling <laughs> but for me it was more just having had the satisfaction I got from saying I want to do this now I'm very aware now that you know it, it suited them to give me this opportunity and the, the small pay rise that I got was you know it was, it was great for them and it worked for them and it worked for the business to go but for me it gave me such confidence in terms of all the other roles that I would then go on to do knowing that I said I wanted to do this that I could do this never having done it before but just thinking that I could and then actually mm. doing it and then getting the recognition for having done that within within the business so that was great and that really kind of like helped with with a lot of my confidence in, in the work and also solidifying the fact that actually I really did love marketing <laughs> and this is the route from a career perspective that I wanted to, um, to go down brilliant and that's amazing yeah <laughs> go on Joe. sorry when I was gonna say what was the name of that company because I didn't catch it um the first uh called turn it in turn turn it turn in. it in. turn it in yeah so basically it's a yeah, if, if anyone who goes to uni or, or if anyone who any listeners that have uni, usually submit your, your essays and dissertations through that because it's a plagiarism prevention software. Okay. <laughs> so it'll flag uh, up right. <laughs> if you have, you know, used any sources <laughs> and then if they've not been cited correctly, then it will flag up to where it's originally come from. So it's usually a smack on the hand for students. They didn't love us. <laughs> no, that's amazing. That's what and what a great experience yeah. to have like you know first proper job people having confidence in you you, you could have said oh, well, I really like marketing and it would have could have just left you and said well that's good to hear and giving you lip service but again I think sometimes you know you have to take credit for how people perceive like your personal brand in any business and if you are perceived as somebody who's capable they'll give you an opportunity which I think is incredible so kudos for that absolutely absolutely and and it was, and it's funny because I was the first, it was a, it was actually a sort of, not a family run business, but there was about maybe like eight or 10 people there. And they'd just been acquired by this US company. I was the 
first sort of members to join. And like, I don't think that they know, like the people who hired me, again, it was their like husband and wife owned the business that they then sold on. And I always say, and I said to my husband, like, if it wasn't for these two people, like, I wouldn't be, I don't think they realise, <laughs> like, how that set me up for mm. everything and everything from a confidence perspective. And even to today, like, what I've gone on to to do, because if I didn't have the opportunity, again, like you said, it, who knows where it could have, where it could have taken you know, me and, and how I think about things, especially given the the disappointment that I had of all the rejections that I had when I was trying to apply for a, um, a placement during my year. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm, I'm very grateful for that opportunity. Yeah, it seems like it was a perfectly yeah. timed um, opportunity uh, with that company. And, mm. and what did you go on to? So after that, I take it you that's when you moved back to London. And yeah, you... so then we moved down to London and then I worked uh, for a... a I was looking for a job, so I worked for a gas consultancy firm as a marketing exec while I was there. And then I was there for about a year. And then I moved on to Sky. That was also a great role for me. So then I worked again in, in media and marketing. So I worked media marketing at Sky and I was there for about two, three years. And then I did a short stint at another consultancy as a senior marketing manager. I was there for about four months. And then I moved on to where I am now, which is a, another technology company, delivery management software firm. And then I joined there as a marketing programs manager. So someone in charge of doing the campaigns and stuff. And then for what opportunity leave, I was given a promotional opportunity to be head of global marketing campaign that's, yeah, that's amazing that's, christy that's awesome <laughs> thank, you. thank you that's another interesting story though actually uh we've had a couple of changes with leadership or as, as in my manager and we've kind of like gone through two managers in sort of a very short space of time someone had a bereavement our manager had a bereavement and left and he decided that he wasn't going to come back and then the cro of business he'd said we we're going to get in a temp and I was like, you're not having a good yeah. So I was like, I can do this. I went up to her, I was like, I can do this. I can I can lead the team. I'll practically be doing it with the other person because I was kind of like point person in the team anyway when the previous manager left. And I was like, you know, I'm not saying I want to like lead the team because that's a whole other, you know, ball game and you know, I don't want to deal with the politics at that level. But I definitely, you know, I can, I can step in in the interim. But he was like, oh, okay, fine. Yeah, that's great. You know, then we won't hire someone. You can fill in the role in the interim. And then, then he was like, right, we need the, I need the marketing budget for next year and I need the marketing strategy and plan. I was like, uh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, just go, go, go ahead and do all that. So that was also really interesting and a fun experience. And then the new lady came in and she was great. And, and she was also amazing. She was just like, you know, I want to be here and I want to support you and everything. Now, bearing in mind, at this point, I'm like six, seven months pregnant. I'm, like, you know, <laughs> I'm about to go on maternity. I'm like, what's going to happen to my role? What's going to happen when I come back and everything? And she was just like, you know, whatever you want to do, I'm here to like, you know, solidify your role in this position and make it like not an interim thing. Anywhere I can, I can help. So we managed to kind of like solidify this role and I think it's like a week before I went on leave. So yeah, it's kind of like solidified just before I went on leave as, as this role. So now it's kind of like starting to gradually get back into the, the swing of things with keeping touch days and whatnot. But that's a little bit of my career, Jen. <laughs> that's amazing. So, uh, yeah. so yeah. yeah. And, and Aaron, obviously, that, so that's come about 
last year is that right yes that was- so that came about yeah so my daughter actually when I had her four years ago she had eczema and it was on her face and I noticed that when she would wake up from naps or sleep like her face would just look so much worse it was you know dry crackly it just looked really aggravated and also she used to dribble a lot I didn't know babies well my mum knew because she told me I was exactly the same <laughs> babies can <laughs> dribble so much from, from so young so in addition to her face being dry like her bed was always just wet from dribble I was like right there must be a solution so what did I not try cotton sheets organic cotton nylon polyester cotton and polyester I even went to to like towel like fabric at one point so that would help absorb you know the, the what have you and it didn't it didn't help and I started to learn about different fabrics and different materials that you know might help I, I came across bamboo and you know, the benefits of, of bamboo but I never really kind of did anything with it other than learn about bamboo and then when I had my son last year about eight weeks in the same thing started to happen so, oh, no, mm. I'm, not, I'm not going on this road emotions again I've learned about bamboo let me look into getting some bamboo things for him and then I got a few things and they didn't kind of really sort of like match up to my kind of level or scratch it's like actually maybe you know I could start something with this and then that's kind of where the brand came from the brand was born you know generally I'm very kind of you know eco-friendly and eco-conscious and whenever I'm talking with friends or friends talking to me about you know like natural cleaning products and that kind of like, oh, that's the kind of stuff that you like. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, I do. <laughs> but I wanted to, you know, it had to be a fabric that was natural, you know, with no chemicals or pesticides or anything like that in the growing or the, the changing process, but also have like a sort of small carbon footprint, but obviously that would work for, um, for kids, particularly with, you know, skin conditions, eczema, sensitive skin, that kind of thing. And bamboo is that. It's got so many great benefits. It's, it's hypoallergenic. It's naturally temperature regulating as well. So it's a great vegan alternative to wool because you know if you have blankets, you know wool we know keeps you warm when it's cold and cool when it's hot. But again, it's wool, right? So if you're vegan, you, you wouldn't really use it. So bamboo is that. It, it, you know, it repels dust mites naturally as well. So again, if you've got allergies or any kind of sensitivities to that, it really helps. And you don't need to wash it at high temperatures because, you know, it, it repels bad things already. And then from an eco perspective as well, it requires, I think, just a quarter of the amount that cotton does to grow. It grows about an inch or an inch and a half every 30 minutes. So it's self-propagating. You don't need to cut it from the root to harvest it. Um, so there's just so many great things about it as a material. And it's funny, actually, because when I started researching it like four years ago, there wasn't really much out there with that at all and you'll sort of slowly start to see it being a lot of things even in food <laughs> I bought some sausages the other day from, from Tesco and I saw they had like bamboo pulp or bamboo yeah. something and the gluten-free sausages as opposed to like wheat so yeah it's starting to be used a lot more now and, and yeah that's kind of the story behind the brand really and and uh, so we do yeah bedding the sheets at the moment blankets and some towels and with, with babies and toddlers up front of the area that, that we cater for for now into to more products soon yeah definitely so I would definitely love to do like a wider spectrum of, of kids which means sort of bigger towels okay. bigger you know, bedding and, and bed sheets and sets and that kind of thing but then also eventually like develop into the wider into the 
home and the household so yeah. to, to adults as well and, and I you know one of the things that's also really important to me which we you know, kind of may have gleaned from the conversation is just being like I'm, I'm so I'm so gung-ho on my word like it has to be not perfect but everything I do is like a representation of of me and by extension I feel like my people <laughs> So it's super important for me that everything is like top notch. So before I even put anything into production, everything is tested. I've made sure I've got my certification that it's, you know, OKO Tech certified. So no nasties. And then I go and verify with the actual body that those certifications are correct. <laughs> I've tried it. I've put everything through the ringer on my children. Because um, I, I just I couldn't bear the thought of ever putting anything out there that would, you know, be any kind of anything for any anybody so yeah I'm, I'm really it's really really important to me that everything is, is as it should be and it really has an impact on the families that buy our stuff I mean, like, it's for any baby or any toddler but specifically those with, with, with the skin conditions because I just know for me how difficult it was to age to find and be how distressing it is when your children are you know suffering with eczema on their face or wherever mm. it is on their body you can't do anything like this doesn't cure anything by any means but it definitely helps and I think oftentimes as well when you see children who've got sensitive skin or eczema the first point of is, oh, what cream should I use or what you know what a, a soap substitute or soap should I use but you know babies spend more than half a day they should spend more than half a day like asleep <laughs> lying down anything that has direct contact with their, their body or you know their face you know should also be taken into consideration and the reality is before I had you know my kids I never would have even thought about bedding and the implications of bedding or towels or anything like that touching their skin so that's been a learning journey for me as well yeah no it's definitely it's not a, the kind of common approach as you say people it's more kind of what can you apply to the skin or maybe some people might go down a dietary route but I've not come across anybody else who's thought about the kind of the yeah that's of bedding and I love how you've got ambitions for your company to grow with your customers I love that you know like you're saying that you want at the minute it's not to two or three and then you've got plans to expand so that's, I'm, I'm sure and I'm very from you know meeting you today I'm very sure that you will achieve that is the brand name after your children yes it is yeah it is so my daughter's called Cara <laughs> but I thought Cara would be too obvious so I dropped the C <laughs> and then my son's middle name so that's my, my husband's Nigerian is Ibo so my son's middle name is, is actually Obi which is Ibo so Nigerian and it means heart so and it's funny Cara means beloved as well so it's like kind of like love 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 basically <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know both of them and actually just just to add as well for me in the brand I wanted to try and convey the Ghanaian heritage as well so we only have two things with prints at the moment but they both have Adinkra symbols in them which are kind of Ghanaian symbols that have Medina but we have one bamboo forest print which has a Nyamian tea symbol in it and our hooded towel has got the Nyamidua symbol in it as well so the Nyamidua is a god's kind of like protection as it were and the Nyamian tea is like their faith and trust <laughs> out there and I really want to every kind of print that we have or that we do I want to try and like include them in the works that we have that's really important for me and it's a kind of thing that's subtle and you know you may not know but you know given kind of like the, the background and, and my roots to the brand anyway I want to pick ones that have sort of significant meaning definitely important to me that that's in there as well oh, wonderful it's amazing 
I love the caution and the diligence that you obviously have with every step of your process as well, because you, I can imagine, again, I'm not a, like a, an expert in sensitive skin or children or even in adults really, but I can imagine there are lots of like sort of online groups and like the, like the network of people that this affects, it's quite a strong tight-knit group. So of course, when you infiltrate like that group or you're part of that network, you want to, you know, branding, word of mouth recommendation to be strong. So I totally get your, your mindset and as to why you want your personal brand and your products to reflect your excellent, your black excellence as well, which is amazing. Did you, you know, in terms of, because obviously I know you probably did so much research and you sound like an absolute expert in bamboo, but did you do lots of research? <laughs> <laughs> did you do lots of research into the market in the UK or internationally? What was your process in regards to that? It's funny, so I, I did, um... So I know my, my dad actually, this is kind of like a small segue. So he also has his own business that I've, that I've helped him with. He has got quite a lot of connections with people, you know, in China and that's from a manufacturing perspective. And I was sort of sort of like, I want to learn about, you know, bamboo. I want to sort of get into this. How, how do I go about it? And I said, okay, let me Google and see what's already out there. And there was literally nothing. And this was four years ago, mine. So, you know, it's a while ago. There was literally like nothing. And then when I sort of started the brand again, so this must have been around end of May time when I started looking into like making a business again. There was very little information out there at all. And I'm like, not only does this work, I know it's worked because it's worked for me. There doesn't sort of seem to be, it's still, and again, it's normal, right? Because when you're talking about the baby industry is, it's huge <laughs> and also most of the expense and what people know about when you think oh you're gonna buy something for a baby you don't think i'm gonna buy them you might buy them a blanket but you don't think i'm gonna buy them like a bedding set or something you go okay clothes right yeah and organic cotton is you know the one that's up there is the thing that people kind of go with there really kind of wasn't much around about bamboo at all and i was like well, this is very strange to me because there's a huge disconnect huge opportunity there especially with kids in this sort of space you do kind of get a bit of more about it in, in australia for like adult bedding so you do find a lot but it's so expensive like it's that was another thing that was important for me was to like make it you know you hear luxury luxury you know it is it's, it's a premium product it's not like a, a three pound bed sheet but you know i wanted to make it affordable <laughs> but also you know durable and last so there is stuff out there for adults, but again, it's so expensive and there wasn't really kind of like the space. And like I said, I tried to get some stuff for my son and it didn't match my standards, let's put it that way. <laughs> so that's when I kind of went on this journey of discovery to like find and source. And, you know, even when I was doing my sourcing, like some of the stuff that I got, I was like, this, this is terrible. <laughs> so I really tried to go with what I think is the best and the most helpful. Do you think the birth of your brand, you know, you very mindful that you wanted to set a business up before even going to university so it was always going to happen but do you think conditions were right in terms of quite a few businesses have opened or started because of lockdown people having time to think and opportunity to build on those thoughts and dreams and things do you think that this time frame gave you that so the combination of lockdown although maybe not because you said your daughter in the first throes of it wasn't in nursery because it wasn't you know yeah. open or it was that restricted it was it was open too um but then being on maternity leave not that that's a break because obviously you then had two kids I just wondered what was it about conditions last year that led you to you know start your company yeah that's a great question as well I think it was just 
me sort of saying to myself, just do it. <laughs> you know, the other thing about me and my quote-unquote wanting to make everything, you know, rounded and dotted eyes and teeth crosses, you know, I say lots of, you know, I've, I've had a track record in my, you know, me doing stuff for myself. Yeah, you say this, you say this, when are we actually going to see it? And I was just like, you know, and I think it was maybe more the maternity leave versus the pandemic, if I'm honest. I don't really know, but I think I would say it's the maternity leave because if I wasn't on mat leave, let's say if it was sort of like now as I'm kind of going back into like, you know, the career world again, I don't know whether I would have the energy or the thought to even start doing this from like a business perspective. So I think I'm just like, you know, I'm here, I've got two kids, I'm just going to like, I'm going to do it. And at first it was, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get it out there. And it's going to be, you know, in my view, I'm going to put all my eggs into my basket. And again, obviously marketing is my real house professionally. So it's going to, I need to make sure it's this, that, and the other. It looks great. And not only does it look great, like it actually is great. Because I'm also, you know, being in marketing, I know all the tricks that are used <laughs> to finesse things. <Yeah. laughs> and so, yeah, if I don't do it now, when am I going to do this? And I think it was literally more that than... Than, than anything else for me anyway but again I don't know I think you know changing time like with the pandemic and the backdrop because that I think that, that may have played a part but I also just think it was you know Christina for me I was like you know just do something for you get it out there and help <laughs> help others in the process well it's it's wonderful it's great to see and just said before I'm sure you're going to it's, it's just going to grow from strength to strength and it's great that you have started um, you know and it's good to for people who are listening who have got ideas that this is like four years in the making as you say you had kind of the thoughts that all the seeds were planted when you had your daughter but now you know the conditions were right to for it to to sprout and, and look what you've done so the time has come for us to ask you the melanin magic question if that's okay and so that just sure. just a reminder that is what are your hopes and dreams for black british business and culture in the next five to ten years and how do you think we're going to get there mm. um, i've been thinking about this question actually and i wanted to to kind of answer it from the lens of how old will my children be at that time and what do i want them to kind of like see mm. you know have have them visibility to them. I really hope that we are in a place as as black people where we can truly be ourselves. <laughs> now that might sound kind of cliche or corny. But what I mean by that is not feel the need to, you know, play up to a stereotype or dampen who you are, but just genuinely be who we are because there's so much greatness in in being black like I take my inspiration from my grandma she's like um, I wouldn't use it you know she's she's amazing (laughs) she's an amazing woman she's so passionate and so driven she's so motivational she's so encouraging to me she's even in this business that you know I've started like she's been an amazing force of inspiration and encouragement and support and I just feel like there's so much of that out there to be able to be given to people and oftentimes especially you know in the workplace people feel the need to you know put on a cloak or put on a dagger and and other cultures don't do that from what I've seen and what I've noticed other cultures don't do that or they don't feel the need to do that and if you know 2020 and what's happened so far this year has been a backdrop to anything is that people seem to be more aware willing to to listen and to see and to learn so we have the opportunity to really kind of like take that now and run with it and I really hope that we we do that and and not to educate because it's not uh, I believe it's not our position to educate but just live 
who we are, how we are. And I think that the onus is on us to a degree to just try and you know, drop the cloak that, that we have put on if we have to honour ourselves and just kind of like live and, and be and let live and, and be confident in that. And, you know, that I don't believe that there'll be negative ramifications as a result of that. And in terms of how we do that, I believe that that's also in us as a community helping and encouraging one another, whether that be in the professional space, whether that be in the personal space, you know, further business owner space. One of the people who I really admire from a marketing stance is also a Ghanaian, actually, Bozoma St. John. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her, but she's currently the chief marketing officer of Netflix. Uh, Ghanaian origin, she moved to the States, I think, when she was, you know, below 10. And she's just like worked her way up the career ladder. But you know, in the process, she's supported others and she's brought other you know, black women along with her. And you know, she's so unapologetic about the fact that I mean, you know, Google her, check her out. <laughs> if you don't know, Lizards don't know you. She's so true to who she is and herself. And it's just an, a marvel to see. Again, she's in the states but i would really hope that in the uk we can we can get to that kind of place as well where black men and black women can just be just true to who they are and they will be recognized for you know their greatness as well so yeah (laughs) i feel quite passionate about that so yeah i love that on so many levels i was recently approached by an ex-colleague to write about like my experiences of when i first got into the professional world because she had this blog for students and it was like but she wanted me to be completely stripped back and and also at the end of it summarise what would I've told my younger self. Mm. So have a look at like what I had done, what I'd gone through and then what, I'd, what I would tell my younger self to do differently if, if there was anything. And at first I was like, yeah, I'll get it with you within a couple of days. But I had to, in the end, it took me about a couple of weeks to write it because it was so therapeutic because I remember going mm. into my first sort of business job, which was recruitment, and I had my weave, I had my little pencil skirts, um, and in my head, I wanted to look professional. And in my head, professional was a certain way. And, mm-hmm. you know, even going through the interview process, you have your telephone voice and all those things that you have to polish mm-hmm. up. And I'm not saying I wouldn't advise somebody to have a, to be able to, prep, to get a professional outlook. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. What I would say is there were elements whereby I'd, been conditioned to suppress and to not even talk about or not even you know some of the questions in the interview were like you know I think we're trying to get you know what would you do in certain like just scenario based question like what would you do in a situation that was quite heated and I was really Mm. conscious not to be kind of like the angry black girl so I'd be like you know I'm so (laughs) diplomatic and I'm 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 the type of person that really goes away from arguments my sister's smiling because she knows I'm the opposite I'm right in there (laughs) but you know those types of things but you're absolutely right kids now I don't know if my white friends potentially would have had those same queries that I was thinking quickly I need to really make sure they don't think I'm the angry girl Mm. so Mm. I totally agree with you that element of your kids of the next generation being able Mm. to be classed as assertive and not worry about being sort of pigeonholed as angry or aggressive Mm. or difficult or sassy for me it is paramount and I totally 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 I'm with you on that I'm really passionate about that one which I think is amazing and I'm going to google this woman from Netflix but I love her on so many levels <laughs> there's very few people like that they're like she is you know and all the work that she's done in, in Ghana as part of the getting people to kind of like go to Ghana and 
far end. And so she's CMO at Netflix now. Before that, she was CMO at Endeavor. So they do like UFC and all this kind of thing. Then before that, she was chief brand officer at Uber. Uh, but yeah, Google her. She's done lots of podcasts. And, like her story is just phenomenal. So yeah, she's a great one. <laughs> she's a great That's one. Amazing. And did you say she's American? She does live in the state, right? Yeah. This is what I mean. There's so many, like, and do you know what? We have a lot of black excellence in the UK. But again, on a previous podcast, we were talking about like who our idols were and the standard, like Beyonce, Oprah. Michelle Obama came up and I was thinking we need to have some UK we need to have some UK black you know black girl magic so it's um, true that's again. for me as well like whether it's in my professional career or with this you know whichever like I it was it's so important for me to be a voice and to be that and I actively seek it out like I actively I'm like I'm, I'm, I'm like where are the black women of power in this country <laughs> that, that, that aren't politicians because you know that's a bit different like you know in business professional like who's killing it who's slaying it that you know I can hear from and I can learn from as and I'm, there definitely will be some but I guess for, for me the, the buzz thing is more about okay this is someone who's in marketing because I do think as well like you know you can take inspiration from whoever and if, and if you do take inspiration from them really when you follow your calling or whatever prompting you kind of had if you let yourself be <laughs> if yeah. you let yourself be there's no reason why you can't be like the people who you're looking up to, if not better, wherever it is that you are, like in your area, in your, right. in your space, whatever. Yeah, no, I get that. <laughs> so I really feel like we need to have you back on the, another podcast because I could talk to you for hours. Like I say, we're already, <laughs> we're already Ghana and sisters, but I just love you. I think you're amazing. You're just great. Oh, thank you. <laughs> So how can our <laughs> listeners get in touch with you, buy your products, follow you on social media? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, sure. So the handle on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter is at RNLB. So obviously at symbol, um, and then R-A-R-A-A-N-D-O-B-I. And the website is www.rnlb.com. One of the things that I'm also trying to, to do, in addition to obviously having the products, is kind of give information around non-topical ways of managing eczema and sensitive skin so I do quite a few lives with experts and we've got a blog as well where we'll be kind of diving into that a little bit deeper as well so you know things like you know making sure you air your room <laughs> uh, you know check all the bedding that you have and all that kind of stuff so, so to provide information as well as just um having the products on hand amazing fantastic it's absolutely wonderful so yeah, Steph said it's been fascinating meeting you, learning about you and, and like, you know, to know more about you and your background, but also the kind of genesis of the brand is fascinating. So, yeah, we definitely will we'll have to have you on again. And um, but, yeah, thank you so much. That's it for today. Chrissy, you've been amazing, really interesting and inspiring. And it's been an honour to have you on the show. Now our listeners would have taken a lot from what you've said today so yeah and thank you to our listeners and join us again next time thank you